Let's turn now to someone who can help us process this tragedy and figure out how and if we can talk about it with our families and our kids. But first, a reminder, we are taking your calls too. Tell us what's on your mind and heart this morning, one day after one of the worst mass shootings on record. Our live call-in number is 866-915-WBEZ. Let's hear from a couple callers who are standing by. Josephine in Indiana is first up. Hi, Josephine. Hi, how are you? Doing as, as best as I can. How about you? I'm I'm okay. Uh, you know, I just wanted to comment and, you know, every time, I, I hate that I have to say every time this happens, but every time this happens, I am continuously thinking about other processes that are in place that address the health and safety of the of Americans of, of, of our nation. And I, I I see things on the news and I see every time there's a recall for this is so basic, but every time there's a recall for lettuce romaine or something, I think the government has put things in place to be able to track to the area to the location um there's a system it it doesn't matter uh you know how long uh it took for this system to get put into place but there's a system in place and for health for the health and safety of people Mm -hmm. why is there not a system in place i mean that's what it boils down to we still have a pen and paper method nobody is threatening to take things away from people what we are what people and i say we because obviously that's something i believe in but what people are wanting is a system that is put into place that could stop potential issues that will affect the health and safety of others. And that is what I continuously go back to. Josephine, a question on many of our minds this morning. Thank you for for taking the time to call in. Let's hear from Taylor in Deerfield. Hi, Taylor. Hi, how are you? Doing okay. What's on your mind? I'm just... I'm a mother of an incoming second grader, an incoming kindergartner, and an eight-month-old baby. And I'm just absolutely enraged. And the sentiment is echoed by many of my friends, parents all over the world, people who are considering having children, you know, all over America. I, I believe and I will scream and I will fight to say that politicians who take money from the gun lobby are trading children's lives for dollars. We need to stop allowing politicians to accept money from the gun lobby. That should be a line drawn in the sand. If we do nothing, we are doing a disservice to all children in America. We are saying we don't care about their lives. Taylor, take care of yourself and those babies today. Joining us now is uh, Dr. Tali Raviv, Associate Director of the Center for Childhood Resilience at Lurie Children's Hospital of Chicago. Hi, Dr. Raviv. Thanks for joining. Happy to be here today. The last time we checked in with the Center for Childhood Resilience was actually in December about a school shooting in Michigan. And we know there have been more than two dozen more of these since then. And this one in Texas, unfortunately, won't be the last So what's on your mind right now, doctor? Well, I think um, the first thing I'll say just personally is I have been on this show. I've been on other shows so many times in the past decade that I've been doing this work to 
talk about how do we help our kids heal? How do we do better to prevent these incidents from happening? And so I just feel tired. I I really, you know, and I think that that's what a lot of people around the country are feeling, that this is an enormous tragedy. Um, It's it's on the heels of a very difficult time in schools um, already this past year. And I always say, you know, we, we have a lot of things that we can do to help our children be resilient. That's in the name of our center. Um, and I can't help asking myself, why do our children need to be resilient in the face of these tragedies? Why can't we as adults, rather than focusing on helping them be resilient, mm-hmm. focus on helping preventing the need yeah. for, for resilience? I played a clip earlier of, of one of the survivors, fourth grade survivors of this shooting and and was honestly holding back the tears a moment ago listening to that testimony from Taylor. Doctor, where do we begin talking about these kinds of tragedies with our with our kids? What do you suggest? Well, uh, sadly, I think um, schools are are getting better at understanding that these things need to be addressed proactively in a developmentally appropriate way. Because especially in today's society with the presence of media, but even even without that, adults are talking about this. Adults are shaken in many cases visibly, as you said. You know, I have had to hold back tears many times. And so it is really important that we um, acknowledge that our kids have probably heard something. Mm -hmm. And so we need, as adults, we need to understand what do they know? What do they um, need from us? So first checking in with ourselves, acknowledging our own feelings, making sure we're ready for the conversation, and then asking kind of open-ended questions. What have you heard? What are your questions? Um, So that we hear, we avoid giving too many details, but we hear what's on their mind. Um, We And most important, that we reassure them that adults are here to support them in whatever they may be feeling and to help them, uh, help keep them safe. What does the conversation look like with teens? Yeah, so oftentimes teens, you know, as we've seen in so many ways, even the Parkland, um, the Parkland youth, but 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 in many cases, climate activists, um, teens are often looking for a way to get involved to change the systems that are causing this violence to happen. And so thinking about ways that they can be really actively involved in um, things like fundraising, um, being involved in their community, being involved in advocacy, whatever that looks like for them based on their beliefs, um, I think that really the, the principles are the same about how to talk to them, acknowledging their feelings, answering their questions, providing information. But with teens especially, I think um, giving them some ways that they can take action to make uh, make things better in their community. Let's jump back to the phones. Here's Andy in Lincoln Park. Hi, Andy. Hi. Um, this is hard to talk about. Uh, I Really, after Sandy Hook, society made a decision that children's death is going to be the cost of doing business in America, that we've accepted a certain level of carnage because it's good for the economy, it's good for business, and we are allowing this. This is difficult to talk about. I had the uh, opportunity a few years ago, uh, right after uh, Parkland, to meet um, a Parkland father and uh, just you know, hysterical crying when I met him. He had to comfort me. But we all should have, after Sandy Hook, Mm -hmm. been so enraged 
that we shouldn't have allowed ourselves to even accept any aspect of children carnage. These were kindergartners who were killed at Sandy Hook, and we just went to work the next day. There was no disgust of such a level. We have just accepted it's the cost of doing business. Children are cheap. Children are going to die, but we can still have our 401ks. And once we accept that, then all of this is just talking in the wind. And that's the thing. You even said earlier, we know this is going to happen again. This Mm -hmm. isn't the last one. Why do we have to accept this? But we do. It's just just part of doing business. It's part of life in America. Kids are going to die, but our 401ks are going to go up. It's good for the economy. We shouldn't vote for any politician that accepts this. But they all accept it. Like I said, it's just part of doing business. If it costs people money, then they'll stop it. They could fix this problem tomorrow if they get rid of liability uh, coverage for gun owners and and gun manufacturers. If people would sue gun owners if they get shot, it's going to cost gun owners money and gun companies money. And all of a sudden, they're going to change overnight. But nobody wants to do that. (sighs) Thanks for your call, Andy. Appreciate you. Doctor, can you... Tell us about the uh, the trauma-related disorders that, that could present themselves in kids after a shocking event like this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for many young people who are exposed to this type of violence, um, what, you, what you may see in the immediate aftermath is a lot of common reactions to stress and trauma, difficulty sleeping, change in normal routines, more clinginess, cheerfulness, uh, intrusive thoughts or nightmares, uh, physical symptoms, feeling jumpy and on edge. And, and those are normal responses to a trauma. And oftentimes with support, they will lessen over time. For, for some youth, however, and families, um, those responses will continue for, you know, three to six months. And and that's the point where you really want to say, okay, I I don't see this going away without targeted treatment. Uh, The good news is we have really well-established treatments for trauma for youth and adults, um, even really young children, that do really help to reduce those post-traumatic stress symptoms. Mm -hmm. I think it's important to note here that I think dating back to some of the research that came out after 9-11, we started to see that there could be youth that are further removed, that were not witnesses to the attack, for example, but are connected in other ways, or watched um, media coverage. If they watch a lot of media coverage, that some of those um, young people can also have trauma symptoms. Should, should there so be I certain think limits? It's really important. Should to there? Limit. Yeah. So there should be certain limits on on how much media we we have our children consume. Yes, and probably the adults as well, I would say. We are not immune from this, and I think if people feel connected, if they know people um, in in Texas, uh, in this community, if they are educators themselves, um, if they have a trauma history before, if they've been in part of other mass violence incidents, then you're more vulnerable. And so those people should really take good care of themselves during this time and reach out for support if they need it. Here is John on the line. He's calling from Mundelein. Hi, John. Welcome to Reset. Hi. Thank you very much for taking my call. I'm going to try to remain calm. I'm very angry today, like so many people are. Um, 
there's a, a truism, a slogan we hear from the pro-gun advocates on the right. They like to say more guns equals less crime. If that was ever going to be true, the United States wouldn't have any crime at all by now because we sure as hell have the most guns. The reality we are facing is that the Republican Party, the political right in this country, is more interested in regulating what a teacher says about gay and transgender people in a classroom than they are with regulating guns that are periodically used to slaughter children in a classroom. I'm talking about mental health, not just of the shooters, but of the political right in this country. People have convinced themselves that they need a gun to protect themselves against crime or against tyranny. And it doesn't matter how many classrooms are filled with dead children. They still believe it. There is mass insanity on the political right. You just had a reporter on your show saying that after after uh, the shooting in El Paso and after the shooting in Odessa, mm-hmm. they actually made it easier for people to get guns in Texas. If that isn't crazy, I don't know what is. The country has lost its mind. Every country has has mental illness. Every country has angry young people. Every country has racial division. Everybody has someone who would potentially, you know, snap and use a gun. What they don't have are the guns. That's the obvious difference between us and every other developed nation. It is so obvious that to deny it is crazy. The, the political right in this country is crazy. Thanks for calling, John. Take care of yourself. Dr. Tali Raviv of the Center for Childhood Resilience at Lurie Children's Hospital is still with us. You know, doctor, if, if a child is distressed for, for a longer period of time after an incident like this, what signs should us as parents look out for? And what steps should we take to help our kids cope? Yeah, so uh, the oftentimes, you know, we would, for, for distress when we see in children, we look for similar signs across, regardless of whether it's related to this particular incident or mass violence or any other kind of adjustment issue. The first thing that I would always look for um, that we see most commonly and are easy to see is difficulty sleeping. So not wanting to sleep by themselves, having nightmares, um, difficulty falling asleep, difficulty staying asleep. Um, Those are often very visible signs that parents can see. Uh, Clinginess and tearfulness would be additional signs. And then difficulty going about their daily business. So not wanting to do things they used to enjoy. Um, feeling more withdrawn, isolating themselves, um, not 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 uh, not doing well in school. I know school year is is about to end, mm-hmm. which is a concern as well because we really need to have adults um, who are keeping an eye on children during those summer months, have activities for them to keep them busy because that is um, a really important way for them to cope and heal. Um, when they're yeah. dealing with, with stress and trauma. And, and you're, you're hearing it from our callers, you know, as parents, as adults, we are also navigating our own emotions right now, doctor. So how do we manage that while supporting our children? Oh, that's, the, that's the hardest part, I think, about being a parent when you, you're no longer just worrying about your own uh, mental health and well-being, but now you're also responsible for, for your children, and sometimes that's really difficult. And so I would encourage adults, you know, we have to take care of ourselves so that we can support our children and be good role models. And so adults should be reaching out to their support networks when you're feeling angry, when you're feeling sad. Um, get whatever help you need, including mental health care, if that is what you need. 
And I think it's okay for children to see our feelings. I think we have an opportunity here to appropriately share with our children, you know, I am sad too. And here's what I do when I'm sad. I'm feeling really angry too. Do you want to do this with me? I I think one thing that would make me feel better is to get engaged in this, uh, in this uh, activity or this fundraiser or whatever fits for your family. So, so trying to cope with your children, modeling good coping and making sure that if you need more than that, that they're not your support, that you're reaching out um, to, to your support networks. That is Dr. Tali Raviv, Associate Director of the Center for Childhood Resilience at Lurie Children's Hospital. Thank you so much for making the time, Doc. Yeah, thank you. It's a sobering day to be here. Take care of yourselves, everybody. Thanks for listening. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. We've got more for you on the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.